Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hi, and welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne. I'm your host, and I just wanted to remind you that last week when we had Taylor Phillips on the podcast, we started the giveaway for her book, Training Ground, From Anointing to Appointing. If you missed that episode with Taylor, you'll love to hear her voice and her heart behind writing this book. But it was really cool that she gave us two signed copies that we're going to be doing our very first ever giveaway on the Soul Grit podcast. So you still have your opportunity to do that by going to your podcast player of choice, wherever you're listening to this right now, do a rating and review for me and send me a screenshot or a picture of your review. Even if it's not a five-star review, I still want to see it and, and know that you're listening. So go ahead and send that to me at info at soulgritresources.com or DM it to me on Instagram at soulgritresources or if you can find me on Facebook too, that's fine. Send me your review and I will enter you into this giveaway and I'm going to be announcing the winner on February 1st. That's next Tuesday. So make sure you get your entry in by January 31st. The announcement will be in a live video on Instagram, so I hope you can join me there as well. If you'd like a bonus entry into this giveaway, make sure you have the best shot of winning one of these two signed copies of Training Ground. You can also go on your whatever social media you use the most, pick an episode of the Soul Grit podcast that you love, tag a friend that you think would like to hear it, and make sure you tag me too so that I see it, and that will give you a bonus entry into the giveaway. So I can't wait to see who wins and see who's going to get the treat of reading Taylor's book next. So for today, we're starting a little tiny mini series about medication because this is one of the questions that gets brought up quite a bit for me as a Christian therapist. So I'm going to be sharing a little bit about psych medications and why we take them and how Christians could think about them. I'll share about my own experience taking medication. And then in a couple of weeks, I'm also going to have a really cool interview with another um, author who's also a pastor and discovered during the pandemic time that he actually really did need some medication to support his mental health. And I really appreciated him being open about that. So stay tuned over the next couple of weeks for that. So for today, let's talk a little bit about medication. Some of this content will be taken from my blog. This uh, was posted in February of last year, so just about a year ago, and it was titled A Christian Therapist's View on Medication. So I'm going to share some of that content and also add to it in from what I've seen over the last year. So here's the question. Why does taking medication for mental health seem to ruffle Christian feathers more than any other kind of pharmaceutical intervention? 
Are there moral or ethical implications for Christians who choose to use psychotropic or mental health meds? Today, I'm going to be giving a Christian therapist view on medication, including when and why we should or should not use it. So here's the tiny history of psych meds, and I will be sharing more about psych meds and how they work in a future episode. So psychotropic medications, or psych meds as I'll refer to them, have gone through several distinct phases of development. Modern versions appeared around the middle of the 20th century. Around this time, that doctors and researchers started noticing that there were many more distinct diagnoses besides schizophrenia and depression. Remember, before this time, people could be called hysterical. That was a common diagnosis for women, or you were just labeled as insane. And it was uh, not really known that there were so many different diagnoses and that the brain is doing different things in these different diagnoses. So once those things were discovered, more specific medications helped with each of those emerging disorders. So then in the 1980s, additional research allowed drug makers to target specific receptors in the brain, tailoring the use of the medications even more. Ages ago, when doctors had little explanation of mental disorders and few treatment options, the suppression of symptoms often came with dire consequences. Complete suppression of the personality and emotions were one of the many consequences. This is when you see things like frontal lobotomies, where people basically just had a surgery to turn off their frontal lobe so that they didn't have to deal with the mental health issues that were plaguing them. Other individuals were simply sent away or locked up when their symptoms and functioning were unmanageable to their families. That's where you see a lot of uh, asylums or or mental institutions. Um, It was actually an official title to call a building a lunatic asylum in the 1800s. We wouldn't use those terms now. And as we've come to understand common mental health issues more and more, we've also come a long way with treatments, including the various modalities of therapy and medication. So what's the purpose of medication? Today, Medication serves to alleviate or lessen symptoms that prevent proper functioning for individuals with specific diagnoses. These symptoms are both biological and behavioral. Unlike purely physical disorders whose symptoms affect primarily the body, mental disorders cause a change in the behavior of the individual. Although the cause is still biological, it cannot be seen so much in the physical changes. The individual presents with quasi-physical symptoms such as crying spells, fatigue, or unexplained aches and pains, but the rest we see in the behavior such as changes in eating and sleeping patterns, lack of motivation, difficulty concentrating, or social withdrawal. For our purposes here, I'm primarily talking about the most common disorders such as depression, anxiety, and bipolar, and I choose to focus on those both because those are the primary diagnoses I see in my practice, and those are the most likely that you are to see in in yourself, in your friends, and your circle of your family. So I'm a master's level therapist, which means I'm well-trained for traditional therapy. I have no medical training. So therapists with my credentials do not write prescriptions, but we are expected to have a foundational knowledge about frequently used medications and how they function in the brain and body. 
I have to refer to primary care doctors or psychiatrists if I want my clients to consider medication. So just want to give that disclaimer that I'm not an actual psychiatrist, meaning I haven't gone to medical school. So I'm not going to give you like a highly scientific or clinical view of medications. I'm approaching it as a therapist and sharing with you how I would advise my clients and how I would um, talk to my friends and family about this. So it's been well understood that the best response and treatment of depression and anxiety comes when there is a combination of talk therapy and medication. So some people start with a counselor, while others first go to their primary doctors to seek medication. The medication is actually a support to therapy. In my practice, I often see people who want to try therapy in hopes that they will avoid the need for medication, and many times this works just fine. Occasionally, I see cases in which a person is struggling too much with the biological symptoms of depression or anxiety to make good use of therapy. For example, a depressed client may be trying to learn the basics of cognitive behavior therapy, or CBT, but she's too overcome with the feelings of hopelessness and worthlessness to make headway. Or an anxious client may understand that the need for mindfulness and breathing exercises, but her biology is overriding her ability to practice these techniques with a racing pulse, shortness of breath, or feelings of dread. When the physical and behavioral symptoms of a client become too overwhelming to the extent that they seem unable to benefit from therapy, I usually broach the question of medication. Since I cannot prescribe, I see my role as exploring the cognitive and emotional aspects of taking psych meds. I also do a lot of psychoeducation about neurotransmitters and how the medication works, since physicians do not always take the time to do that. And this is why I'm going to add another episode where I'm going to explain some of these things, or I might actually do that on Instagram as well so that you can see me and the gestures that I use when I explain this to clients. So here's the bottom line for most clients. If you tried therapy for a while, like two to three months of regular sessions, and you're feeling the same or worse, you need to talk to a doctor. And of course, some people know they need medication right away to manage symptoms that are preventing them from living their lives. In that case, medication would be starting simultaneously or even before starting therapy. So when is medication a bad idea? There are a few occasions for which I would not recommend medication. First, if the symptoms haven't been happening for very long, or if therapy is getting a really good response. Sometimes medication helps people get through difficult seasons, say a death of a loved one, or a divorce, or a tough medical battle. In general, these types of situational depression, bereavement, or anxiety would be better served with the support of therapy, but not always. A second reason I would not recommend medication is that some people want to take a pill as a way to numb pain instead of working through it. If you're planning to take medicine until the pain goes away and never seek counseling, it's probably not a good idea. Again, the best response is seen from people who couple medication with talk therapy. Some people have other biological reasons they should not take medication. It may be another medical condition or pregnancy, although there are several medications that experts consider safe during pregnancy. Others have tried several medications and either don't get the desired response or else they suffer adverse side effects. 
Occasionally, these last people may be good candidates for other techniques such as electroconvulsive therapy, ECT, or transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS. And don't forget, there is an episode of the Soul Grip podcast about TMS, and I'll link to that in the show notes. One uses electricity, the other uses magnets, and both are safe, effective, and non-invasive for people who are treatment-resistant to medication. And no, it's not like the horror movies where you've seen the shock treatment. It's, it's a lot more delicate and focused at this point. So let's talk about Jesus's heart for healing. My concern for Christians is that there's a stigma in our churches about the use of medication for psychiatric conditions. Unlike diseases such as diabetes or cancer, mental health issues hit us the hardest in our minds and emotions. Christians tend to think of these as the domains of the spirit, whereas the physical body is separate. This is a falsehood. Jesus cares just as much about our physical bodies as he does about our minds and our hearts. He proves this with his miracles in the Gospels. We have conceded that modern medicine is useful for our bodies. Why are we resistant to the idea that it might be good for our minds as well? When Jesus heals a body and makes it strong for its purposes on earth, we praise him. Our minds and hearts are equally essential to our purpose, and he is interested in healing them. But he may not always choose supernatural means. By all means, you should probably pray more. I know I should, but I will also take my meds when I need them. One mission of Soul Grit Resources is reducing stigma that prevents Christians from having access to good mental health care. I want Christians to consider that God may use medication and therapy to heal his children. So how can Christians make decisions about medication? If you're considering whether medication may be for you, or talking about it with clients for my therapist friends, there are a few steps I think you can take. First, learn about how the medications work and how your brain could respond. And again, I'm going to provide more resources about this in the future. There are a lot of helpful YouTube videos about this, so don't let side effect warnings put you off. The cold medicine and vaccines you take also have these. Beware of side effects, but don't let them make the decision for you. Often, the side effects are more manageable than the original disorder. Second, seek wise counsel. That's the Christianese way of saying, ask people you trust. These people should include God first, your physician, and your therapist. Your therapist should respect your decision about meds, but can offer some very helpful scientific as well as anecdotal information. You can also rely on God to give you clear direction about this. Third, you don't have to feel bound to a particular medication if it doesn't work for you. I would recommend giving it at least two months unless you have immediate side effects that are unbearable. Then your doctor can help you decide if your dosage is right or if the medication needs to be changed. As I already mentioned, medication reduces the symptoms of depression or anxiety enough to help you make good use of therapy. Once you have learned some of the skills and therapy that you need for managing your symptoms and functioning, you may not need the medication after a while. Therefore, don't take any new prescription as a life sentence. I realize that some people listening may not know the first place to start with talking about medication. 
for most people that have garden variety depression or anxiety, a general practitioner or a primary care doctor can help with prescriptions. If you have a diagnosis like bipolar or schizophrenia, your PCP will refer you to a psychiatrist. Additionally, you may have to see a specialist if you have other health concerns or if you're pregnant. You can ask your therapist all these questions, and she will point you towards your doctor after providing some psychoeducation. That's the word that we use for teaching you about psychological things. Your therapist can also help you understand your diagnosis. She'll give you some talking points and questions to discuss with your doctor. Sometimes I administer a brief questionnaire that talks about symptoms. Then I have the client take that paper to the doctor to discuss the best medication options. You can also find help for selecting a therapist in one of my previous episodes. Only God can show you if medication is the right choice for you. However, when you ask him, it's wise to be open to the idea that nothing is unclean, including medicine. You can help hurting people get the help they need, they need by using your own experiences with mental health and medication. Talk about them openly. In fact, that's what I'm going to do next week. Thanks for being here with me today on the Soul Grit Podcast. I just wanted to give you a reminder that you can sign up to receive weekly emails from me by going to soulgritresources.com. I promise not to spam you, and I also promise to make you aware of valuable new resources such as podcast episodes, blogs, and more. Let's be friends! The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soul Grit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.